that's our prayer this morning, that we would be more aware of what he's doing in this place. Welcome to Hawaii Community Church. So glad you're here. Would you take a moment now, greet the community around you, make them feel welcome. <laughs> sitting down right away and I had to go outside to get in because everybody was high-fiving and hugging and saying hi. What a great morning. Well, my name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the director of Community Life. First, I want to direct you. How many people have a bulletin? This is our primary communication device here on Sundays. We'd like to, to hand this out, but if you flip to the inside cover, there's our prayer connection card. We are a church that's rooted in prayer and we're a church that is better together. Connection is so key. It's so important. So what we want to do is take a few minutes for you to write down your prayer request, no matter how big it is or how small. There's little blocks on there if you just want to hit the blocks. We just want to know that your name and just put that you are here and your prayer request. If you have a big one, let us know. When we pray together, it's very important. We get to know what's going on with you, and we can pray for you. We have a team that prays for you throughout the week. And if you want prayer after the service, we have the prayer garden in the back. But prayer is very important. So we're going to take about 15 seconds. Just take your bulletin. There's a pen in the seat pocket in front of you. Grab that. Grab your pens. Who's got the pen? Ready? Ready at the aim? We're going to take 15 seconds to fill those out. attention to our first big event and after uh, after after the announcements today the usher is going to come by you can just take those prayer requests and connection cards they break away from the announcements in there and the sermon notes you can just put those right into the offering basket excuse me i have a cough drop in my mouth i'm just getting over a little cough and i don't want to start going to a coughing fit up here well next weekend how many how many people in here are a woman or know a woman Guys, if you're not raising your hand, we need to talk after this and open your eyes. This room is filled. Well, next weekend is our Stories event. Stories is going to happen right here on Saturday morning. It's starting. Today is the last day to sign up. It's for women 18 and older. You're going to hear uh, various stories from ladies in the congregation of how God is moving in their life and what he's doing. It's going to be a fantastic event. Lunch is served. Refreshments are provided. Coffee is provided. Just Show up and have a great time. See us at the events table. You can register. Today is the last day to register, so get your name in there. It's $25 to attend, but if that is difficult, just let us know. We want to work with you. Our next event is happening on Sunday the 18th. This is the alternative gift market. Our patio is going to be transformed into a shopping wonderland. Who likes shopping? Who doesn't like shopping? Don't like shopping? This is for you because you can get in and out in under 15 minutes. It's so perfect. This, this is a great opportunity to buy non-traditional gifts for your family and friends, but at the same time, you're blessing someone else around the world. 
It could be locally. It could be in another country. But it's a great opportunity just to get some gifts to bless some other people's and get your shopping done early. This is going to be Sunday the 18th. It's going to be right there on the patio after each service. Um, some of the vendors will be cash only, so have that preparation in mind. If you want a full list of the vendors, go to our website, ljcc.org. Or if you want more information about what's going on at this church, go to the website. Well, right now, we're going to move to Pastor Dom. Morning, everyone. Hey, just really quick, students, before you guys head out, we wanted you to meet somebody, and families want you to meet somebody. Two weeks ago, you got a, a letter from me explaining, after four months, we've been looking for a, a candidate for our next uh, director of student ministries, and we found him in Ryan Sylvia, and he's here this morning, so we want to welcome him up. Would you welcome Ryan? So the job requirement was somebody that was taller than me. That wasn't that hard. And um, somebody that would win in a cage fight, and I think he'd win. So uh, Ryan, where are you from? Tell us about yourself. So born and raised in San Diego, lived here my whole life, too gorgeous to ever leave. Um, and ended up, I've been the, working in the youth department at Faith Community Church over in Sarah Mesa for the last several years. Um, God has just kind of really been speaking into my life, and it's, it's time for me to transition, and the, the place that he led me to was uh, La Jolla Community Church, so I'm, I'm really, really excited to be here. Awesome. So, yeah, why do you love student ministry? Like, outside of Trent eating candy, Halloween candy, come on, bro, it's like 10. It's awesome. Why do you love students, junior high, high school, what's the draw for you? So uh, ever since college, I just had a really uh, a big passion for education. I love teaching. Um, my roommate was struggling with math uh, our first semester there, and I was helping him out and just watching the excitement on his face, which took like two hours to get to. Uh, when he learned, it was just something that, that really lit something inside of me, and I didn't realize that was a passion that God was calling me to. Um, then as I started to work more and more in uh, church circles, I started to realize that, that uh, Christian education was something that was just really, really cool for me. Um, my plan when I graduated college was to become a high school math teacher, um, but thankfully God had better plans for me than that. Um, I, he always tends to, you set up your nice little plan where you're going to go, and then God just like messes it up. Um, and it's so much better. So I uh, started volunteering at Faith Community Church right after I graduated, and um, shortly after that we went to a summer camp that God just kind of wrecked my life and decided... You know, Ryan, you're going to be working in ministry. The next week, the head pastor said, hey, we're losing our youth pastor. Are you interested? And my jaw almost hit the floor because, like, this is what God is calling me for. And it just, when things kind of work out, usually that's when God's working. Um, and so I've just had a passion for, for youth ministry ever since. I see myself as a youth pastor forever. I'll probably be the dude with a big gray beard still teaching youth. Um, I love kids. I love students. I love education. And it's, it's where I'm going to be. So that was one of the things that we were so impressed about Ryan, about with Ryan is that it's just this infectious love for Jesus and this affectionate love for students. And a lot of guys and women are burnt out. They're like, I think I could get through another two years. Average youth pastor lasts about 12 months to 18 months in their career, and then they're out. And so just looking for a guy that's going to just love you specifically, students. He's going to walk with you, tutor you with math, um, all those kinds of things. You might help me afterwards as well. Um, what would you say to these students? What do you want the students to know? And then you guys are going to head off the program after that. But what do you, what do you want these students to know? 
Um, the, the big thing, I'm just excited to live life with you guys. Um, it, it's very poignant. We're talking about honesty today. I just want to be able to live life with you guys. You know, I'm not perfect. I don't do everything exactly the right way. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to stumble. That's, that's the nature of living life. So I just, I just want to get the chance to, to kind of grow with you guys, teach each other. Um, I just want to be able to hang out. You know, you guys are way cooler than me. So please like teach me how to be cool. I was awkward. Like I wear glasses. I'm nerdy. I'm weird. So please like teach me how to be cool. Show me, you know, show me what's hip. Teach me not to use the word hip anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, it's lit. Is it lit now? Are we lit fam? Is that where we're at? <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm just really excited to grow with you guys. It's, it's going to be a great experience. Um, Come talk to me. Come hang out. I, I want to get to know you guys. You guys are great and amazing. I'm excited to, to grow with you. Lit. Um, <laughs> hey, we're going to spend a moment just praying for him, church. And you guys gather around him, all of you guys, and just and put a hand on him or, or on a person close to him. And um, don't hurt her. <laughs> we're going to pray for him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for calling this man uh, to serve you in this place. We thank you for the fantastic uh, guys and girls that are here, that are, are ready for his leadership, that have benefited from the leadership of others. And now, in just the right time, just the right way, Lord, you brought Ryan to build on that, to continue that, to increase the momentum of, of what you're doing uh, in the lives of these young people. We thank you for them. Uh, they inspire us uh, with their vitality and, and their curiosity, uh, their energy, their enthusiasm, the, the, the deep questions they ask, um, the, 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 the big dreams that they're dreaming. And so we pray for Ryan, that you give him everything he needs uh, to come alongside them as a servant leader, uh, to love them with integrity, to lead them with integrity, to, to learn along with them, as he said right now, that, that, that together they would be a community uh, built around you, and that, Lord, you would uh, provide all of them, uh, each in their own way, and all of them together, a larger view of you, a, a deeper understanding of your word, a, a bigger commitment to be part of your mission in the world, that, Lord, through, through great relationships, lots of laughter, some tears, some incredible experiences, whether at camp or around the world, you would uh, bind their hearts together with his and his with theirs. And Lord, we pray uh, that we, in the years ahead, would see your work in him and your work through him. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that. Your faithfulness to us and to him and bringing him to this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Students, you can go to your programming. Look at the excitement there. He is tall, isn't he? Taller to me. <laughs> well, this brings us to a time of tithes and offerings as the ushers come forward. This is our opportunity just to, to partner with God and what he's doing right here in our community. Some of us were here a couple of Fridays ago, and it was amazing. I was sitting at registration, and just the amount of people were coming in. There was almost 1,000 people here on our campus, and it was just an amazing event. People that probably didn't know God or are not connected, and it was just a great opportunity to bless them. We have an amazing preschool that kids come in they don't know Jesus but they leave here going into kindergarten garden, excuse me kindergarten saying Jesus loves me how amazing is that we have kids that have 
an adult that's going to be pouring into them and working with parents that they can pour into. We have Rihanna, who we barely see in here because she's always back there working with the younger kids. This is our opportunity to partner with God, spread the gospel in our community, and we can see the fruit of it on a daily basis when we look around this congregation. So as the ushers pass out the baskets and receive the tithes and offering, this is our opportunity to celebrate. When that basket comes by you, celebrate with what God is doing. And you can take those connection and prayer cards and you can fold those and put those right in those baskets. But just think about what God is doing in and through us in this community. Thank you. 
have a seat, please. Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, Jan and I have been gone for the last month. I got a little break. Uh, I had this pattern for a very long time where I would uh, work for seven years and then take three months off. Well, I'd get fired, and then I would... Um, <laughs> um, I found that that was a really great rhythm because at the end of seven years, you want to quit, basically. Uh, you're, you're worn out, you're tired. Uh, as uh, Dom said, a youth pastor, typically it's 18 months. Uh, a senior pastor in a church is typically three years. Uh, it's just very challenging uh, being a pastor. And um, so this idea of taking a break to, to reboot and to reboot for the next seven was really a great pattern. So I did that several times. And, and uh, then I, I, I found that 13 years had gone by and I hadn't done that. And I was wondering, why am I so tired? And, and this is so hard. And, and we, of course, we've been in some, such big transition uh, saying, okay, how do we realign ourselves properly given the culture that we're living in right now? Uh, I don't know if you read the Wall Street Journal. My favorite day of the Wall Street Journal is Saturday. And in the review section, opening, opening article talking about the massive gap generationally we're facing in our country right now. A massive gap, a gap of resentment on each end. Or it could be an incredible gap of coordination and, 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 uh, and unity, collaboration. And that's what we want for our church. We want to be a, a multi-generational church that really does feel and function like a family. But in our modern mindset, uh, we've sort of distorted that. And this is true for churches across America, challenged with the idea that how do we create a sense of family uh, without making older people feel like, oh, you're pushing us out because you want younger people. Uh, and younger people feeling like, oh, you want to pull us in, but you don't want to change anything to make it feel like we belong here. Very challenging. Um, so anyway, uh, rather than taking three months off, we're not in a place as a church where that would work very well. So I, I, I took a month off, and it was really great. Um, I can't remember what I did. I slept most of the time. Um, no, we went down to Dallas, and I baptized our grandson, Miles. That was really fun, uh, being part of that really great extended community of followers of Jesus in Dallas, and that was awesome. I went up to the Bay Area and celebrated one of my brother's uh, surprise birthday party. Uh, we got in the mountains. We got uh, down into the desert. So it was really a fun way to change pace and to reboot, and I read a lot of great stuff. I hope you can do that too. All research about every profession says that we don't become more effective by working harder and longer. We become more effective by having a proper rhythm of work and rest. And those, those breaks are not off downtime, uh, lose control of your business or your, or your career. Those are the times when we are replenished and renewed. Uh, and so that's, I, I hope that's something you're factoring in. To whatever degree you can, that you would take time to get away uh, with, with no schedule other than to be present to each other if you're a couple, uh, to be open to God and present to God, to read widely, to, to uh, do whatever is really fun for you to do. That's something we all need, and, and we don't get enough of that. Um, so I thankfully, um, and thank you, uh, we, we got that break. Uh, I hope you were here through October to hear the sermons. If you weren't, I hope you go back and listen to them. We had probably some of the, the best sermons we've ever had as a church in the month of October. Ian talking about grace, Steve Hawes talking about joy. Is that if you, how many of you heard Steve Hawes? Profound. So Ian and, and Steve, uh, Greg Ellert uh, talking about perseverance. And then if you were here last week, hearing Gerard Long tell his incredible story. Uh, um, so 
when I ask people to come speak, it's never as filler. It's always as a gift to you. Uh, so that, and I love being here when we have guest preachers, but, but I'm telling you, we've never had a person stand up here, male or female, uh, young or old, and speak without having a very clear reason for that. And the clear reason was we want to embrace grace. We want to embrace joy. We want to embrace perseverance. We want to em embrace um, hope. And, and yet to do that, we've got to create some new practices. We've got to create some new practices, some new patterns. Because otherwise, you'll hear a sermon on grace or joy or persevering or hope and say, God, that's wonderful. What an amazing story from Gerard and Jeannie Long. And what a delightful British accent. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, instead of saying, wow, that disruption in their life. You know, every one of those sermons was about disruption. You notice that? That God meets us in those places of positive and negative disruption. We call those crises. Positive and negative crises. A place we say, hey, I think I'm going to go in a new, fresh way. Even if I'm still going to the same place I intend to go. And so um, we're going to now talk for this month about practice. Uh, practicing honesty. Practicing humility. Practicing gratitude. Practicing wisdom. These are the connectors to things like grace, joy, perseverance, and hope. And so that's where we're going. I want to start with a question. Are people basically good or are people basically bad? And really, if you've been around here for a while, you're going, hmm, I bet this is a trick question. <laughs> so it's a rhetorical question, which means you don't have to answer it out loud. But I have been asked this question uh, in my entire time as a pastor. And it's, it's a great question to ask because I can guarantee if we were to ask it and answer it right now, if you're here with a spouse, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, one of you would say basically good and one of you probably would say basically bad. Uh, and, uh, and we have a big argument about that. Uh, let me resolve it for you this way. The Bible doesn't ask that question. The Bible is filled with descriptions of good and bad people, good and bad acts, good and bad situations. It never asks that specific question. What the Bible does is describes a world, the world in which we live, where all people are wounded by sin. Where all people are wounded by sin. Are you a good person who does bad things, or are you a bad person trying to do good things? It's irrelevant at some point. The fact is, unless we understand that we are all wounded, and that we need to address that wound, it's a ridiculous and non-productive conversation. But if we start talking about the wound that defines every human being who's ever lived and who will ever live, in every culture, at every age and stage, then we'll say, wow, we have something so profoundly in common at our core that we have something to talk about. And we don't talk about it in terms of victimhood, uh, intersectionality, who's the greater victim in the room. We talk about it as what do we do in the face of this common uh, core issue for humanity? All people are wounded by sin. We all try to hide our wounds. And we do that by hiding from God, hiding from ourselves, and hiding from one another. I can't wait to see the new dating site that says, just love to tell you about my wound. <laughs> Be like, okay, uh, I'm not swiping right or left, I'm just closing this whole thing down, you know. Uh, what do you mean you want to talk about your wound? Well, I want to come out of hiding. I want to be able to say, here's who I am, who are you? Uh, you have never, I would, let me put, reframe that. Where you have had those 
breakdowns in life that result in breakthroughs, it's where you've been most aware of your wound and most willing to acknowledge it and do something about it. When you stop blaming and gaming and denying and projecting and scapegoating and finally said, maybe it's about me in this case. Maybe I need to take a look at who I am and why I do what I do. You see in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 1 and 2 are these fantastic opening chapters in the Bible about how awesome it is to be in a world created by God and to be a, a being created by God. <clears throat> chapter 3 kind of screeches to a halt and God asks Adam, where are you? This was not for God's benefit. <laughs> I think I misplaced Adam, you know. No, he's asking Adam, do you know where you are? Where are you? Adam answers, I'm hiding from you because I'm naked and ashamed. I'm naked and ashamed. This response echoes throughout the ages and reverberates today. Every human being is, is confronted with, with this and says, I don't want anybody to know. In fact, I don't want to know. So I need to get busier and get more engaged in other things because I don't want to have to take a look at that and think about that. God asked Adam, well, who told you that? Who told you that? How'd you know that? When I was about five, <laughs> uh, I was talking to my mom, and apropos about nothing, I just said, you know, mom, I'm, I'm never going to smoke. I'm five. So she's like, well, that's a good thing. And she said, and then she stopped. My mom had an amazing intuitive way of getting right to the core of things. She said, how do you know? Oh, well, it makes me choke. <laughs> and before I could catch it, I'm like, and she looks at me in a bemused sort of way. She goes, oh, really? How do you know it makes you choke? And of course, then I was able to blame it on the older kids who had pulled me aside and, and shared a smoke with me, um, or a choke with me, as the case was. Uh, and so this is the question from God Adam. Who told you that? How do you know that? Why is this an issue? And this is my paraphrase. Uh, Adam says, well, I was created in your image, but now I've got this ugly wound. And it makes me feel naked and ashamed. But I have it out because it's from the woman that you gave me. And this also reverberates down through uh, the ages where we are amazingly adept at rationalizing and shifting blame and responsibility for how we feel to other people. Well, I'm only feeling this way because of what you did or said. Oh, really? Thank you. Hmm. How does that work for you, right? How does that work for me? I think it works pretty well for me personally. It just doesn't work for anybody around me. That's the only thing I've, 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 I've bumped into there. Jeremiah said it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Is he saying, oh yeah, people are basically bad? Or is he saying people are basically good, but they get sideways with themselves and God and everybody else? He's saying there's a wound and we don't know what to do about it. And we try everything and anything and it doesn't work. And it's deceitful in the sense that it, we, we are so gifted at rationalizing and bearing our real feelings and being dishonest with ourselves, we talk ourselves into all kinds of explanations and crazy narratives and make up all kinds of stories that distance ourselves from our heart. And therefore, I don't know what's true and what isn't. 
Who can understand it, Jeremiah says. Well, preceding this, he's already said, don't rely on, on human wisdom, rely on God. Here's why. Because the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. For a person. Who can understand it but God? There is hope, there is a cure, and, but it does not reside in us. It resides in us fully cooperating with God's purposes for us. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about honesty. The psalmist said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? A brilliant question, don't you think? Wouldn't that be great if we, we started our, when we're feeling really riled up or big emotions or stuck or threatened or fearful or whatever, if we started with that question rather than trying to look around and say, who can I blame for this? What are they not doing right this time? I'm not happy. It's your job to make me happy. Obviously, you're not doing your job. Instead, why my soul? It's good self-talk. Why are you downcast? What's going on in me? What am I experiencing? What am I assuming that I'm not getting or not having, not experiencing? Why is my soul so disturbed within me? That's a step of ownership. That's a step of honesty. It's a great question. Often, even when we start to ask this question, we immediately go to a solution uh, that is assigned to somebody else. I, I love how David said it in Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose decisions, whose attitudes, whose assumptions I get to a place that they can actually be seen for what they are, confessed and forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You have a record in your head about your life. And only God can change the way you think about that record. That record can be experienced as a recording, the loop that keeps going through about what you've experienced in your family of origin, or what you experienced from kids on the playground, or what you experienced through difficulties in life. And until somehow we let God have access to that, usually it's through gifted and wise counselors, spiritually mature men and women who guide us through a process of deep reflection. They're not talking us in or out of anything. They're simply helping us understand the record of our lives and seeing new and fresh ways of, of, of understanding it and, and bringing forgiveness and compassion and, and true change because we're living uh, completely honesty. The alternative, David says, is he says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day <clears throat> what does that groaning sound like in your life? Are you constantly critical of other people? Are you critical of yourself? Are you hard to live with? Are you easily set off? Do people walk on eggshells around you? Do you tweet in the middle of the night? <laughs> I'm not referring to President Trump. I'm referring to you. <laughs> you, whether you're literally or figuratively tweeting, what in your head in the middle of the night are you laying uh, at the feet of someone or something to blame them and demand that they fix. Your groaning is often about what somebody's doing to you, what somebody's withholding from you. Uh, when, when the President of the United States does it, you go, wow, he's just like me. Only his is documented in the media. Mine is pretty well kept secret until I open my mouth. And then every around me understands, ah, you're groaning. That sounds a little bit like whining. I'm blaming, yeah, because it is. 
<clears throat> I read a, an amazing uh, book. I read a bunch of great books while I was gone, but um, one of them I, I read, it was written by a woman who I met in La Jolla uh, 24 years ago. She came to my office and told me her story and, and just introduced herself, and I was dumbfounded when I heard her story. I was like, amazing. Well, then <clears throat> it turns out that uh, uh, Laura Georgia Caucus had given Janet this book to read, and Jesse should read this book. And I looked at the book, I said, my gosh, I know this lady. And as I read the book, I mean, it was a completely emotional read because Eva Eger, E-G-E-R, 90 years old, lives in Loya. If you ever see her, she's a diminutive woman swathed in Chanel. Uh, she's the most elegant lady uh, you can imagine. <clears throat> her story is that uh, she trained as a ballerina, came from this you know, loving family uh, in, in uh, uh, Hungary. Uh, and, but when she was 16, uh, she was sent to Auschwitz. Uh, and there, having been in this, packed in this train with her parents and a bunch of other people, some of them expiring just because of the train trip, they get out of the train, uh, walking through the snow, they walk up to the gate, she's clinging to her mother, uh, and on the other side, one of her sisters is clinging to the mom, and the dad immediately is sent over in that direction. And, and as they approach the gate, this man is really happily welcoming everybody and saying, hey, how are you doing, are you feeling okay? Oh, you're not feeling okay? Just go in that line. Oh, look at these three beautiful women. Uh, and who is this? Your sisters. And, and in the spontaneity of the fear, the dogs and all the craziness going on, young Eva says, that's my mom. Oh, your mom. Oh yeah, she should go in that line too. And then so Joseph Mengele welcomes her into Auschwitz. And as part of that homecoming, welcoming, uh, he has an orchestra, and he says, hey, any of you girls, uh, artists? And some of the girls pointed at her and said, yeah, she's a ballerina. She's 16, she's a ballet student. So no, let's dance. And the orchestra just spontaneously starts playing the Blue Danube, which turns out to be the only piece of music she's ever choreographed. And so she can dance to that. But she realizes, how can I dance in front of this monster, knowing that my mom I don't know what's going to happen to her. And so she dances for herself. And when she's done dancing, he says, fantastic, bravo, and throws down a, a loaf of bread that, of course, helps save her life eventually because a bunch of things happen after that. Well, now she, she, is, a, she is done. A year later, she comes out a wraith, reunited with family, eventually finds her way to the United States, becomes a phenomenal psychotherapist, but there's this something inside her she can't shake off. And this new world, this new life, and a wonderful husband, and children, and all these opportunities, and all the Chanel she wants to wear is just not enough. And she starts to become honest with who she is. And not wanting to face those horrors, but wanting to turn away from them, she learns to embrace them. Of course, the ultimate thing she had to finally embrace was the fact that if she could take it all back as a 16-year-old girl in that horrifically terrifying place, she would have said, this is my sister, not my mother. And so you can see her body was wasting away. She was groaning all life long because she had this guilt hanging over her. 
So you see, this idea of being honest isn't admitting a, a blatant sin, a sin of omission or commission. It's just decisions, circumstances we wish hadn't happened or could have been different. But this is what shuts us up inside and shuts us down inside. And when you now become a follower of Jesus and you have yet to deal with that stuff, what happens? It's still in you, but now you spiritualize it. You say, oh, I, I prayed about it. Prayer's good. But where's prayer supposed to lead us? It's supposed to lead us into, into profoundly important conversations with wise spiritual mentors who can help us unpack the stuff that we're experiencing inside. How about, probably a third of us here at any given time are saying, I don't know where I am on my faith. I'm kind of bored and I, 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 it seems irrelevant. All my friends believe this and I feel like I'm stuck believing what I've always believed and I want to change it because it's awkward to sometimes hold out biblical views on things. Well, that's an expression of dishonesty if you don't say, hey, can I just stand up or go to a life group and say, I don't believe any of this stuff anymore. Or I'm wrestling with the implications of this. Is that a breakdown you'd regret sharing? Or is that a breakthrough that begins a new understanding of the depth of God's presence in your life? See the power of this? The power of practicing honesty is simply the God-given gift and capacity to open our hearts to him and to people. So Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, let me, let me say that this is generally misunderstood from a modernist perspective. A modernist perspective says truth is propositional. It's, yeah, it's true, false, good or bad. It's propositional. And propositional truth is part of objective truth. Things are true and not true. So there's nothing wrong with propositional truth. It's just that the truth that Jesus is talking about is relational. Call it postmodern because a modern says, idea says, oh, I've got to hold his teaching. And if I can't hold on to it, I'm, I'm, east out of, I'm kicked out as a disciple. What he's saying is, will you, will you receive my teaching? Will you learn to lean into my teaching? Will you embrace my teaching? Will you learn to, you know, to wrestle with the implications of my teaching? Because that puts you in play with me, in a relationship with me, which means you're my disciple. You're willing to learn from me. You see the difference there? One is a performance point of view. Am I being a good enough of a disciple? I better not have any questions, especially not any doubts. Or it says, wow, here's another thing I don't understand, Lord. What's this about? Ah, glad you asked. I can't wait to have these conversations with Miles. He's about this tall right now. And he's just this happy kid. And I can't wait to have a conversation with him. He goes, hey, well, so what about this? Now you should ask your mom. <laughs> I can't wait to have the hard conversations. Oh, that's a great question, Miles. First of all, let's ask God to lead us through that to an answer. Lord, Miles is ready. It's a great question. Would you give us wisdom and insight and a, an answer? Hey, Miles, you know, let's talk about it. It might take us several years to get to a, 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 an outcome. In fact, Miles, we might want to revisit this every year of your whole life because as you get older, this question uh, has more and more parts to the answer. You see where this goes? Powerful. If we hold his teaching, we're simply saying, Lord, I trust you enough to lead me into a right relationship with you and me and others and all creation. That's what righteousness is about. It's not checking boxes. It's checking your heart. Does my heart belong to the Lord? And if so, where is he leading me and guiding me 
And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of evil, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and protect me. Right? This is the power of, of being honest. Why? Because then we know the truth. The truth that we are loved and beloved of God. The truth that nothing and no one can separate us from him. The truth that there's no question we can't ask that he can't receive from us and help us work through to an answer that is honoring, glorifying of him and blessing toward people. This is the powerful need of our culture. Our culture is so stuck in the questions we ask and the answers we demand. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not just a set to some propositions that are true, disembodied ideas that you can affirm, but the truth that there's a living God living in me. One thing that's implied, that's implied in this is that you'll know the truth and it will set you free. Yes, but let's acknowledge it will make you miserable first, uncomfortable first, perhaps confused and discouraged first. Why? Because when we start to look at who we are and who we're not, it can be very, very hard. And until we're confident enough in his love and his grace, we often don't want to do that. That's why life groups stick together for a very long time. Maybe they become, either they become super superficial. You talk about nothing significant for years, and you go, I'm in a life group. But I'm so empty, I don't get why I'm in it, but I dare not quit it because it'll look like something's wrong. Or is your life group the kind of group that after 10 minutes of people going, oh my gosh, these are my people. Let me tell you what I'm wrestling with. Let me just cut to the chase. And they're, they're together for a long time because there's been so much integrity and credibility and trust built up that they could talk about anything. You see the power of that? The power of honesty? Oh, you too? See, C.S. Lewis defined deep friendship is that person when you finally get to know them, you go, oh, you too. Oh, you like reading that. You like that music. You like this. So Jesus also said, I've called you my friends. This is the power of becoming honest is that he invites us into a friendship where honesty is appreciated. Honesty is affirmed. Honesty becomes the place where we meet God most intimately. And so Jesus came into the world to restore our relationship with him, with ourselves, with others in all creation. And he achieves this by defeating sin on the cross, conquering death by rising again from the grave, and then healing our wound. This happens um, all in an instant on one hand, but it happens progressively as well. That's why you might be sitting here saying, I've been a Christian for 50 years, and I'm still wrestling with stuff. Am I, am I a slow learner? Uh, is there something wrong? No, because the longer we live, the more aware we become of issues in our life. And yet again, hopefully we've learned the lessons to say, Lord, I confess this, I acknowledge this. Meet me here today. But we still want to hide, we find it hard to be honest about who we are and what we are, because the enemy, the enemy of our soul, Satan will say, you know, who are you really? Who are you kidding? Give me all that, don't give me all that unconditional love stuff. You know who you are. And when we're stumped going, uh, I hope we hear the voice of God say, yeah, yeah, I know who he is, he's mine. She's mine. Oh, I, I know who she is. She's the one for whom I gave my life gladly and I'm filled with my spirit abundantly. I know where she is. She's safe with me. You have no hold on her anymore. That's the power. So let me ask you the question. Are you an honest person? Are you an honest person? That is, are you willing to open up your heart and your mind to the living God 
in a way that you feel like you're really living. <laughs> you're not afraid of being found out. If you're afraid of being found out, you're not really living. You're spending all of your best energies hiding and rationalizing and denying and feeling the incredible burden that causes you to groan and to waste away. Honestly, I'm fine. Honestly, I'm fine. Really. I'm really fine. Feeling inside, not expressed. That's how fine I am. My feelings are inside, not expressed. I, I don't know if you're safe or if God's safe or if anybody's safe enough to know what I'm feeling. That's the beauty of a deep relationship with God and with other people is that when we say, oh my gosh, you can't believe it. I could have killed my kid the other day. Oh, you too? I could have walked out of my marriage the other day. Yeah, I felt that way too. What'd you do? I apologized. <laughs> I asked for help. I, you know, whatever. What we're feeling is not definitive of us. What we do with those feelings is. And the honesty is saying, here's what I'm feeling. I'm not exactly sure why I'm feeling it. I've been out of work. I've been praying. I haven't gotten a job. I don't know, man. Where's God in this? That's honesty where God meets us. That's powerful stuff. So honesty opens us up. Honesty leads to solutions. Honesty makes us like Jesus. Jesus was the most honest person who ever walked the planet. His yeses were yes, his noes were no. He opened his heart, his mind, his very life to everybody, and especially to the Father. So practicing honesty is an authentic act of courage. For those of you who are venturing into therapy for the first time, who are, who are showing up at a life group and actually talking about your life, who are who, who are, are coming to the Bible with the openness to say, Lord, my culture says this, but I'm not understanding why your word says that. That's, that is, to me, an authentic act of courage to put yourself in full gear, not taking your mind out of gear, not denying your heart, but bringing your heart and your mind to the presence of the Father. It's a gift we give one another. If somebody is honest with you, don't judge them, don't give them advice, just listen and say, help me understand what this means to you. The people I don't like most in life are those who tell me what I think and tell me what I feel. Then give me a diagnosis and give me instructions what I'm supposed to do. Practicing honesty reveals truth and builds trust. It's, gen it's a genuine mark of grace and love. It corrects, it renews, it restores, it heals. It builds a healthy community in Christ. Paul said it this way, finally, brothers and sisters, after all these great things he writes to the Philippians, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things, but don't just think about these things. Start with thinking critically. Critically doesn't mean thinking negatively. It means I want to think with insight and wisdom and understanding. I want to gnaw this like a dog gnaws a bone. I want to stay with this until I get some clarity on what it is that I'm experiencing in terms of my, my doubts, my, my hard feelings. He says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And, and don't forget, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We have to think about the right things and things the right way so that we know how to do the right kind of practice. 
Practice does not necessarily make perfection. Eric Brown, I call him out. Probably the best golfer in this room. He's been a golf instructor. He's a member of the PGA. He could look at your, 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 your swing and go, we got work to do. And you'd be overwhelmed. And he said, no, 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 we'll break it down. It's going to be good. We're going to work on this. We're going to practice. Well, I've been practicing. Right, right. We're going to practice correctly this time, though. <laughs> Some of you are incredibly musician, incredible musicians. And everybody goes, oh, man, I'd give anything to play like that. And what would you say? You go, I have. <laughs> I have given everything and anything. I spent a lot of time doing this. See, it's practice. It's practice. And you know what's the neat thing about thinking hard about things and about that are important and really wrestling with them and not being superficial in our thinking? Is that when we start to practice and apply, we become more honest. Well, that was bad. That was a crazy idea. But then you all of a sudden go, you know what? I think I might be getting better at this. And you're making progress. You think this is really starting to become fun. I could give you endless stories, but I won't about that. But the net effect is this, that the God of peace shows up. The God of peace who's always been there willing to give you his shalom, when you finally give him a, an opportunity, says, hey, all these things you're thinking about, all these things you're trying to put into practice, I'm here to make it possible. And you're gonna experience a sense of peace every step along the way. That won't make it easier. It'll just make it worth it. Honesty makes us better together. This church will not and cannot thrive without honesty. Let's learn to practice honesty, motivated by love, grounded in God's word, empowered by his Holy Spirit, supported by his people. And if you're in the worst marriage of all time right now, start there. If you're in the worst job of all time, start there. If you're in the worst attitude toward yourself, start there. Wherever you're experiencing pain, don't run away, run toward. And do it with the full support of God, his spirit, his word, and his people. And you will find that practicing honesty is not yet one more version of a breakdown. It's the beginning of an incredible series of breakthroughs. So Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. That we would have that kind of experience in you beginning to be more honest and vulnerable and ready to see you show up in ways that will surprise and delight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread. We have uh, gluten-free matzah. He broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And following that meal, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. It's interesting that, that we, we, we say these words often out of context because they followed a very long meal where Jesus was brutally and beautifully honest with his disciples. Here's who you are. Here's what you need. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's where I'm going. Here's who I'm sending. Here's what your life can look like. Here's uh, everything I will and have provided for you to live 
this covenant. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't believe in him, we're not imposing this on you. But if you're opening your heart, maybe for the first time to him, uh, if, you are, if you believe in him, come and receive Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, the Eucharist. Those three names are often used to, to describe this. Because what it is, is us being honest enough with God to say, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. Your intentions are good for me. Uh, uh, those who are leading, uh, who are serving communion, come forward at this time. Uh, they're going to spread out around the room, and wherever you are closer to them, go, and you'll hear them say words like something like, this is Christ's body given for you. Uh, this is Christ's, Christ's blood spilled for you, <laughs> uh, shed for you. It's non-fermented grape juice, so don't worry. It's okay. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you are here in this place, that you do want to fill us with your spirit. You do want to inspire us. With your presence. You do want to guide us and make us wise through your word. You do want to give us a deep sense of belonging through your community. So Lord, we open ourselves honestly to these things. We come in your name and we know that you will receive us as we come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Uh -huh.
because he's living in you to give you hope. As you open your heart and your mind to him, wherever you are right now, be as honest as you possibly can. And every day, be as honest as you possibly can with him. It's not an exercise in futility. It's an exercise in practicing faith. Practice honesty and you will grow in your faith. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or imagine give you everything you need, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.